Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This podcast exists because of the fine folks at patreon.com slash Dave Chen. A big thanks to those at patreon.com slash Dave Chen, and be sure to sign up there for bonus audio content and support Decoding Westworld. Thanks so much. You and your friends in the cartel or whatever the fuck you're calling yourselves these days, sell me this lump of concrete today. Or? Or you give it to me for nothing. Tomorrow. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding Westworld, an unofficial podcast about the HBO original series Westworld. I am David Chen. I'm Sidhan Badlaka. Welcome to the podcast slash YouTube show. Every week what we're going to do is we're going to be discussing each week's episode of Westworld. We're going to be talking about what exactly happened there. We're going to be talking about our theories. We're going to talk about like what happened to each character, speculate wildly on the future, probably uh, put out some just plain wrong stuff about what's going on in the show. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So we will spoil each week's episode. But we will not spoil anything from the next time on previews. Um, and uh, this week we're going to be discussing season four, episode one, entitled The Auguries. Season four, episode one, The Auguries. Uh, that is what we are going to be recapping here today on the podcast. Um, so, man, it's been a couple of years since Westworld has come out. We're going to start by just reacting overall to the episode. All right. So before we dive into what happened here, what's going on, Siddhanth, what did you think of the episode overall? What was your experience of watching it like? I was surprised by how much I liked it. And that is a black that is a backhanded compliment. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but I was pleasantly, pleasantly taken in by it from an emotional standpoint, uh, which means any issues I had last season or even this episode that had to do with mysteries and logic and answers slowly faded away by the end of the episode. I, I feel like we're on for what feels like a semi-new ride, and I'm interested mm -hmm. to see where it takes us. When the episode started, I put on my Instagram story, I'm ready to be hurt again. <laughs> I'm ready to be hurt again by Westworld. And that is how I feel. Now, here's the thing, Sidon. I would argue that Westworld has been excellent at season premieres mm -hmm. and probably mostly terrible at season finales, right? Like <laughs> vir virtually every season premiere that has occurred has been really strong. Um, and this one was no exception. This was a, an excellent season premiere. Um, it addressed some things that we wanted to know about what happened from last season. It introduced like brand new ideas. And there's just a bunch of stuff that we literally don't even know what's happening. So it's a classic Westworld episode. Uh, but I'm also, while my heart wants to love again, I have the protective shielding up. You know, I'm like, I'm worried about uh, 
how it's going to unfold because I have a feeling at some point it's going to go off the rails. I've read some headlines from reviews of people who have watched more episodes and they seem to think that uh, the show is just as dense as in previous seasons, which to me is not a good sign. Mm-hmm. I think it's had too many plot lines in the past and I think it needs to simplify it down and just nail a handful of good ideas. So I thought it was a great episode and I'm worried about the future. So that's kind of my reaction. I agree. As always, I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, And granted, season after season, the caution tends to overtake the optimism. But, uh, you know, (laughs) isolated from all that, um, I'm happy with it as a singular episode. That's for sure. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Well, let's talk about what exactly happened in this episode. Um, And uh, before I get to that, I do want to mention you can find episodes of this as a podcast at decodingwestworld.com, our conversations, and also email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Of course, you can also, if you're watching this on video, you can leave a comment below and uh, we'll try to get to some comments in either the next episode or some of the bonus content we're putting out on my Patreon page. Um, This episode, The Auguries, was directed by Richard J. Lewis and written by Lisa Joy and Will Sudik. Um, the auguries, interesting word, right? Sadan, what do you what do you make of the augury? Let's define what an augury is, right? Um, what is your sense of why this was titled auguries? Sure, in the modern simplified sense, it can mean an omen. Uh, it can also mean the interpretation of an omen, and it comes from the ancient Roman tradition of uh, divining the future from uh, from birds. And so before we even watch the episode, I have to wonder, are we, as the audience, are we the augurers? Are we the ones trying to pick apart what's going to happen in the future? And uh, there, there, there may be a more episode-centric explanation as well um, regarding certain things we find out about a returning question mark character. Um, but I, I just found it funny how, you know, it, it almost seemed, the title almost seems like a shout out to those of us who are going to be you know, furiously theorizing after each yeah. episode is. Indeed, indeed. Um, what is being augured and, you know, who is doing the auguring is the question. Um, but it does seem like, uh, as with most seasons, the season will get pretty dark, is my guess, right? We're going to go to some dark places if we are to interpret the title of episode one seriously. Okay, here's what I think we should do in terms of covering this episode. I think we should talk about this opening sequence, right? And like mm-hmm. what that all means, all right? What, what is the through line of that whole situation? Um, we open with the Hoover Dam long in the future, right? Uh, conveniently, William, a.k.a. the Man in Black, a.k.a. the host of the Man in Black, is there? Uh, host version of Man in Black? Now, Probably. When, when we last left the man in black in season three, uh, Charloris had created a host version like Charlotte Hale with Dolores's mind inside of her had created a host version of the man in black who then attacked the original William slash man in black and slit him in the throat. Uh, presumably he's dead, but maybe not. We never saw him actually die. Uh, I think it is safe to assume that this one that we saw is the host version, probably, because he doesn't have a huge throat slit, is my guess, but who knows? Or that other scar on his face. Exactly. He So he shows up at the Hoover Dam to make a purchase, right? And uh, it, it is conveniently explained that the Hoover Dam hasn't changed a bit since he was young. So um, that's why it looks suspiciously similar to what the Hoover Dam looks like today, right? 
uh, and he makes an offer to buy what is what is being stored at the Hoover Dam, which we learn quickly are like a bunch of um, servers slash data, uh, data that is designed to last for a hundred plus years. Um, and my sense of what this is, right, is we we learn from the person who's kind of part of the cartel, as it as it were, that. Uh, they have been storing this data that was beamed to them eight years ago. So I think it's safe to assume, correct me if I'm wrong, Sidonf, that mm-hmm. um, at the end of season two, Dolores beams the sublime and a bunch of host data to an unknown location. Mm-hmm. Uh, we basically have season three was basically about Ciroc, played by Vincent Cassell, trying to find that data, was unsuccessful. And... Now I think this is this is it. This is the location of the data. Like it is being stored here, and presumably Dolores uh, or someone else working on Dolores's behalf paid these people a bunch of money to store this data for the past uh, eight years. That was my interpretation of what happened. What do you think? I'm not entirely sure, uh, just because they are being quite mysterious about it. And usually, when the show is mysterious about something, mm-hmm. uh, it's safe to assume that some kind of reveal is afoot. You, you uh, didn't think the uh, fly hosts were enough of a reveal? Like, I feel like, you know, there's enough mysteries going on, even with the understanding that I just explained. Dave, uh, uh, sorry, did you suggest that there's only going to be one reveal per plotline? <laughs> um, it's true. That was terrible, it's... terrible mis- miscalculation <laughs> on my part. No, I think you're right in terms of, you know, divining or auguring what's going to happen. Um, you're probably right, but it's one of those things where they talk around it so yes. much that... Yes. I guess it remains to be seen because, um, you know, when those pieces are eventually put into place, uh, we're going to look back at this scene as, you know, on one hand, you know, a a plot setup, sure. But on the other hand, something that introduces us to, like you said, this bizarre, creepy new concept of these presumably host flies. And I'm very curious um, about how they work. Yeah. I'm guessing there's some kind of nanotechnology in there, but... Uh, you know, William makes the offer. He's like, you can you can sell me this stuff today or I will take it, you know, for free tomorrow. And he kind of gives them an offer. And of course, they decline because how could William possibly be a threat to them? They don't know that William has host fly things <laughs> that can control people's bodies or something like that. Um, control, reprogram. We don't know. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, you were saying like, are these hosts potentially, right? Like mm-hmm. that are being controlled. Who knows? I think it's likely that it's the sublime slash host data is my mm-hmm. guess. Like I, I, that's because it, it, he says eight years ago is when it happened, which would, yeah. according to what we learned from the timeline, that would put it right around the events of season two, right? Yeah. So, um, so I think that's what it is uh, that's being discussed here. I, I that's the one thing I thought I was sure of until I talked to you. But your skepticism, your skepticism is deeply warranted and fair. Okay, uh, so. I thought this whole sequence was like awesome, like very creepy. And you see the guy, the gentleman who's played by uh, Arturo Del Porto, I think is his name, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you see his home is so like meticulous and he's got like all these watches in this display case and his, he's really well put together. And then when he gets home after meeting with the man in black, there's like flies and like the flies are such a visceral disruption of this order that he's created for himself that it's actually mm-hmm. kind of upsetting. Um, and then, of course, when he when he starts killing his coworkers, he he seems to be doing so in a very tortured fashion. Like it doesn't, he he's not like a robot. Like you know, bleep warp, <laughs> I'm killing people. It's like 
it's very um it seems like he's being tormented as he's doing what okay. he doesn't want to do yeah um it's anything else about this, this opening sequence more bleak blorp unconflicted yeah yeah um yeah. about the opening sequence yeah the fact that you know uh, I, i'm just always creeped out when you have a whole bunch of flies and you can hear them and and to me it's this symbol of rot and death and so i'm really wondering you know how you know what the explanation is going to be and how they're going to play into all this thematically as well indeed indeed okay let's talk about mave and caleb's storyline and the, and both of which intersect so they're the only two stories i think that we know for sure are taking place in the same time frame <laughs> in this episode right um but uh, and, and then we'll get to obviously the Christina or Christoris or Dolores storyline after that. Um, but we meet Maeve. She's meditating in a cabin, listening to radio. Um, and then uh, she kind of has like a uh, an overload that like shorts out the entire grid. Um, mm-hmm. It's unclear what she's doing. She's remembering her, her daughter. Certainly that's one thing she's doing, right? Something that she's been doing for the last like four seasons. Yep. <laughs> um, three seasons, I should say. But uh unclear exactly what's going on here um i didn't know if you had any interpretations of like what mave was was doing there no and and that's one of those weird things where i'm not actually sure if we're meant to be guessing anything mm-hmm. like usually when the show is mysterious you can you can pretty easily say oh okay i guess we're going to find out more about that but this i'm i'm not entirely sure yet i i think it's she was just reminiscing if- and then she had she reminisced <laughs> too hard she she reminisced too hard basically is what happened right Basically, um, but uh, the plot function it serves is that it not only very quickly catches up us, catches us up, excuse me, on Maeve's character and what she's been through, and uh, you know the end of season three, but also some things that happen after season three and between seasons three and four. Um, presumably, who knows how they'll you know play with the timeline if at all. But I think what we're meant to assume is that she is recalling things in the past, um, everything that leads up to the season three finale with her and Caleb on that bridge you know, the the not fight club sequence. And then we see, um, I believe well, it's we see her... these, these flashbacks, question mark, flash forwards, <laughs> question mark, because it looks like they are uh, kind of infiltrating a facility that contains one of those big uh, controlling balls, for lack of a better word, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, we saw them in the previous season. There was Rehoboam, there was Solomon, um, I'm going to call this another, one David. There's another one called David, right? Um, no, I'm going to call this one David. You're going to call it David. Was, okay. Yeah. But yeah. I, I think it was, it looked like it was the one, like one of the prototype, like one of the first versions okay. of it, right? That, that we saw in season three. And, uh, then we see Caleb apparently be grievously wounded, right? Like he seemed grievously injured in that scene. Uh, and so I thought, oh, Caleb died after season three and like <laughs> we're never going to see him again, but then he shows up breathing comfortably in the next scene. Right. So do you, th- do we think that this adventure with them infiltrating the base happened in between seasons three and four, or is it a, like a clairvoyant future memory? <sighs> well, Dave, <laughs> the language it's using, it is the language of a flashback. It is right. But this is Westworld we're talking about, you know, look at the title of the episode, look at what it implies, look at the fact that we don't know what Maeve is doing alone in her cabin. Um, so, again, like I said, in isolation, yeah, it's a flashback. If you take into consideration the fact that this is the most <laughs> topsy-turvy show, 
you know, for better or worse, that we've seen on television in a while? I guess we'll find out. <laughs> uh, I will say it was really refreshing to just see Maeve acting on her own behalf. Like that was oh, something gosh. we talked about in the last yeah. episode of Decoding Westworld was that Maeve was basically at the beck and call of Ciroc all last season. And it was nice to see Maeve like making her own decisions, you know? Um, and to see Tandyway Newton kind of kicking ass again. So she uh, figures out that people are after her because they've recognized this short, uh, this grid short, you know, power thing that's happened. Um, and then um, people come to her house and they just start freaking opening fire on her, you know, mm-hmm. not even like waiting. Uh, and she is able to take them out in a rather badass fashion. Mm-hmm. Um and she identifies one of them as Colonel Brigham. So this is a guy that was actually in the show before, right? Yes, he was a general of sorts in um, in the park, in the Westworld park. So either this is the same model or, you know, some kind of recreation of that model. Because he clearly doesn't recognize the name Colonel Brigham. Yeah, um, right. But right. she recognizes him. Uh, and she kind of takes them all and kind of hooks her brain into his brain to see like what he's been experiencing. And I have to say that whole sequence was like super cool. Like uh, it felt like minority report where she's like looking at the world from this other guy's perspective. Um, and, and the part where she like murders the guy, you know, kills all those guys I thought was, was pretty badass too. It's, it's interesting. This is the second thing starring Tandy Way Newton that I've seen where she's in the middle of a forest like in the middle of like wintry woods mm-hmm. taking out random dudes. Uh, the other one being the Julian Higgins movie, God's country that premiered at Sundance this year, extremely okay. similar kind of aesthetic to what happened in this scene. Um, both of which star Tandy way Newton. So um, anyway, yeah, uh, she, she has a, she has a <laughs> action aesthetic that she prefers, I guess, but she's being uh, typecast. Yeah. And so uh, I thought the whole like viewing the world, like viewing that guy's memories was like so cool. I really love that. Um, I love that she sees herself through his eyes yes! as a vicious killer and then smiles. What a what an amazing detail. Yeah. Oh, love it. Love it. So and then I think at that point she leaves to go help Caleb, right? Is there anything else about her storyline that we should mention or? No, just at the end of that scene, she discovers that uh, this Colonel Brigham character was sent apparently by William, who she may not know is, you know, a host himself. Um, but I do love what she does at the very end. She sets her cabin on fire in order to, you know, presumably make sure there's no trace of her. Uh, but I just love that shot of her heading out because even though the fire looks incredibly cheap and incredibly fake, it doesn't matter because you have Colonel Brigham's severed head in soft focus, just kind of, in a, he's dead, but he's like yes. kind of watching her leave and the fire is reflecting in his eyes. And it was such a delightfully staged shot. Yeah, it was pretty good. You know, and there's a bunch of good shots in this episode. Um, some of which feature the next character we're going to be discussing, Caleb mm-hmm. Nichols, played by Aaron mm-hmm. Paul. So I think you and I were both expecting, Sidanth, that Caleb would be enjoying his position <laughs> as leader of the rebellion. Oh, well. Um, <laughs> and it seems like everything has just gone back to normal. And like, I will say that I think there is like a really potentially interesting point being made here about mm-hmm. how moments that feel like they are revolutionary in our history can often lead to a society that reverts back to the mean, you know, like mm-hmm. that reverts back to what people already know. Um, it's been seven years after the events of season three, we learn, right? Mm-hmm. And Caleb is still working in construction and um, 
people don't even seem to like his coworker doesn't even seem to know that he was supposed to be the head of the rebellion in any way. Like, it's not like, Oh, remember that thing you did Caleb seven years ago? It's like, there's no recognition at all that Caleb was important at all in any of those events is my sense. Right. It was such a depressing reintroduction to Caleb that I swear to you, I laughed out loud Uh uh, out of sheer enjoyment because Mm -hmm. again, like we, like we spoke about, I was expecting, you know, this to be like, Oh, society's crumbled. It's, it's a Mad Max world. And Caleb is a reluctant leader, but no, he's just back to square one. And this, this conversation is unfolding where he's working construction again and you see what looks like a Pepsi logo in the background. Clearly, you know, capitalism has won. And it is it is so grim, the fact that he went through all the things that he did. And yeah. nothing changed. And, you know, it, it really brings to mind, you know, how, you know, we, we all feel about, you know, we can feel about, you know, politics in America sometimes. That, you know, you you can try and, you know, upset the system in certain ways. But things keep reverting back to, you know, an unpleasant status quo because the powers that be have such a hold on things. Caleb's coworker says that, said, quote, that insight machine didn't tell us who we could be. It told us who we already were. Uh, and then he asks, has your life changed since they destroyed the machines? You know, like, and the answer being, the, the implication being no, right? So um, they, they apparently did destroy the machines. So like mm-hmm. Rehoboam is no longer dictating people's actions, but very little else has changed. It's also weird too because Sidon, uh, the uh, the marketing around the season, like I think it was when I watched it on HBO Max, it was like mm-hmm. a new world begins or something <laughs> like that. And so it's like, oh, okay, like after the rebellion from season three. Um, but pretty pretty bold of them to just basically say all that stuff that happened in season three. We're pressing the reset button. It's not the kind of story that we want to tell. And I'm like, okay, I respect that you're willing to make big moves to kind of tell the story that you want to tell. And hopefully, you know, it will be a good one. So I kind of love it. And I kind of like that they don't use some kind of cackling villain, like a Loki type to be like, Oh, well, what people really want is control. We just have (laughs) Caleb's coworker saying, no, no, you know, I kind of preferred when, you know, the AI was telling me what my life was. There's a, (laughs) and he finds a sense of comfort in that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, We find out that Caleb is married mm-hmm. um, to a lovely per- lo- lovely woman and has a seven-year-old daughter named Frankie who he is teaching how to use guns. And it, it, what's fascinating to me is like imagining what the story that must be between these people was like, he led a rebellion, but she doesn't seem to take it seriously at all, right? Like mm-hmm. his wife doesn't seem to be like, oh, we must protect this precious cargo, the previous leader, like the John Connor of Westworld. Like, <laughs> she just does not give a crap about any of that. She's like, stop telling our kids how to play with guns, basically. Yeah. Is her, is her, her character, I have to say, is pretty rough. Like, it's, it is this kind of common trope we've seen in shows like Breaking Bad, where um, it's, there's, a, there's a male protagonist who's like trying to push the action of the show forward, and then his wife is just like, no, don't go do the brave thing. And uh, it's pretty rough so far. I hope they give her more to do uh, as the as the show continues. Um, fair enough. I, I do like their relationship, but yeah, no, that that's a fair point as well. Um, and um, as as a Westworld watcher for you know how many other years the show has been on, I gotta say there were things where um, you know I picked up details that made me think, wait a second, 
is what we're witnessing even real? Is the mm-hmm. daughter real? Is the wife real? Is Caleb alive? And and what's so annoying is that nothing in the show, nothing in the language of the show, the visual language, the filmmaking, the narrative framing, would necessarily lead us to believe anything like that. Yes. But the show has at the same time trained us to subconsciously question everything. Question so, the nature of your reality. Have you ever questioned yes, the nature of your exactly. reality? Exactly. exactly. I, I think it's completely fair. It's And especially because we saw a flashback question mark of Caleb dying earlier. Like maybe Caleb's brain is being kept alive in a vat somewhere and uh, Maeve is interacting with him by like interfacing with whatever network he's in. You know, like who knows? Um, but Fair enough. You're right that maybe none of this is is true. And yeah, I think uh, for the soul- I, I think of the plot lines we've seen, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Christina slash Dolores, uh, Maeve, Caleb, you know, uh, old man like a uh, man in black. Like, I think at least one of those plot lines is definitely not what it seems, right? Like, yeah, probably at, le- at least. So yeah, uh, yeah. The reason I thought this is because you know all of this happened seven years ago, and uh, their daughter is apparently seven or turning seven. So did they? Did they happen to meet before the riots began or slightly after? Who knows? Maybe the maybe maybe it's just I don't normally think like this about any right. show. Except Westworld has completely destroyed your brain, is kind of what you're trying to say. Basically, you know? and there's also like this Banksy like mural of a little girl flying a drone, but the girl is being controlled by another robot, and so you have these things mm. that could be interpreted as clues as to like, you know, who who's really in charge here, who's in control. Um, but it is a nice aesthetic. Super, super cool Banksy-esque uh, yeah. art, though. I, I love that. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. So uh, we later find out, like, Caleb is reading um, to his daughter, and they have a nice little interaction, and he's really paranoid. The daughter loses her teddy bear outside of her room, and then mm-hmm. um, there is a guy who's there to sh- I think it's a host, right? Because hosts were sent after Maeve as well mm-hmm. um, to shoot his daughter, Caleb, whoever, and then Maeve kills him with a katana. Pretty yeah. badass. Pretty badass kill. Yeah. Uh, you wrote in the show notes, she's still super cool. I agree. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> uh, so they interact, and then Caleb's like, you know, I got to go figure out who's trying to kill us, or else we'll never know peace. And his wife is like, no, don't go do that. Our best plan is to just sit here and do nothing, you know, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but then, you know, Maeve and Caleb team up again, and they're going to go and figure out what exactly is going there's a senator in california that might have some answers that's kind of their mission for this this episode any other thoughts on the mave caleb uh storyline here um as i recall in season three they didn't interact all that much right except maybe towards the very end correct correct yeah but the way they interact here it really gives you the sense that they had a genuine dynamic yes. relationship maybe after season three ended so even though we don't see all that even though at times i felt like Hold on, where did season four go? Are we already on season five? Um, it 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 really like fleshed out the performances and interactions really flesh out the history between the two of them. Great, great call out. Yeah, I, I like the relation. I like the dynamic between them right now. You know, like mm-hmm. it's like oh, these are kind of like friends who like respect each other and like um, you know, and it's cool. It's cool to be able to see Maeve bounce off of somebody who is not controlling her every move. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, somebody who's like Maeve considers an equal. I think that's interesting to see. Yeah. All right, before we get to the rest of the episode, uh, let's give a quick plug for other stuff we're working on. Siddhanth, if people are enjoying this scintillating dialogue, where else can they find your work on the internet? Sure, I share all of my work on my Twitter, which is just my name, at Siddhanth Atlaka. And uh, the one thing I'd like to plug is not actually something new or upcoming. It's 
uh, a review from last year for the movie West Side Story. And the reason I want to share it is because Ariana DeBose happens to be in that movie. And she has just been introduced in Westworld as well. And I love her. And I think she's maybe the best original Hamilton cast member. Uh, excellent. Well, check that out. I think you also won an award partially, be- an, an LA yes. Press Club award partially because of that review. Is that right, Sidon? Yes, it was one of the samples that was sent in. Uh, this was the um, Southern California Journalism Awards, which happened just a couple of days ago, the 64th edition. So that was one of the three reviews they judged on. Congratulations. Um, Siddhanth is extremely good at what he does. Oh, thank we are you. blessed. Thank you. We are blessed to, to have Siddhanth's expertise here to cover Westworld with us here. Um, I'll give a quick shout out to uh, Culturally Relevant, which is a podcast I do at culturallyrelevantshow.com. Um, I've actually interviewed Siddhanth before on that podcast. Um, mm-hmm. I also have an interview with the journalist Elizabeth Williamson, who's just written an amazing book about misinformation in the modern age uh, called Sandy Hook. Check it out at culturallyrelevantshow.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Okay, Siddhanth. Uh, you know, before we get to the Christina Dolores plotline, there's a couple of other things I thought we should mention, actually. Mm-hmm. One of them is uh, we got a brand new title sequence for this uh, for this season, right? We did. Brand, brand new title sequence, which is kind of cool. It's kind of cool. I admire any show that has like a new title sequence per season because those are hard to make. You know, they yeah. take a lot of work. And the these are thematically interesting, right? Uh, mm-hmm. The Westworld title sequences are thematically interesting. Um we saw that as like it got out of the park, like the title sequence changed. This season, there's a lot of imagery around um, flies, which mm-hmm. are obviously going to play a major, major role this season. And then there is an image of like a very vivid image of like people in these kind of prison like cells yeah. that were on fire. That was like very upsetting. Do you have any theory right now about what the flies are, by the way? Like, what's your current standing theory about the flies? Um,. Obviously, some kind of robotic entities, some kind of, I don't want to say nanotechnology because they're too big to be nanotech, but. <laughs> like, why like, would you use flies if they were nanotech? You know, yeah, it doesn't. Like this. Yeah. And if, if you have nanotechnology, why not use nanotech? So clearly. Yeah, why not this, just like, in, you know, is, you, 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 you like touch, you shake their hand and like the nanotech goes in their hand. Like you don't need flies to like. And do, I, yeah. I think that's also really aesthetically interesting because clearly, you know, whoever is behind these flies really wants to make a point of scaring the crap out of whoever he sets them on or he or she sets them on. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think there's a significant likelihood that we're looking at William, the host version of William, who Mm -hmm. is acting under the 
um, auspices of Char Loris, like the Charlotte mm-hmm. Hale version of Dolores, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of what I think is most likely. But like, yeah, what are the flies? Like, why are they using flies specifically? Like, those are all unanswered questions for now. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's talk about the biggest surprise of the episode. Or, uh, not surprise. I think we all saw it coming. But the biggest mystery is Christina. Yeah. We see Dolores wake up, Evan Rachel Wood. Um, but she's not seemingly not a host anymore. She seems to be like a human. Uh, the shot I think of her waking up is very similar to the shot, the very first shot of the show where she wakes up as Dolores, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Or um, yeah, yeah. And uh, she's in a futuristic apartment, which is super cool. She's got this bed that folds up, and um, and her name is Christina. Uh, and she has a roommate played by Academy Award winning actress Ariana DeBose. Mm-hmm. Uh, who wants her to choose white or black shoes, which is kind of a similar uh, dynamic to picking white or black hat in first season of Westworld. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of the episode kind of centers around Christina's job, her dating life, her interactions with her roommate. And we'll highlight a few of these, but I guess I just want to add, let's start by asking you, Siddhant, like what was your first reaction when you saw Christina? Because I was like, what is happening here? What is going on, right? Like who is this character? Why do they have Dolores' body? Yeah, and my first reaction was, just to go off what you said, is this Dolores's body? Is this, you know, the body that we saw when Dolores, quote-unquote, died at the end of last season? Uh, mm. But I think, you know, even if that question is answered in, in a logistical sense, I don't think that's important right now, because this is clearly playing on our relationship to Dolores, our understanding of who she is and her outlook. Because whoever Christina is, is not Dolores, doesn't have the same history, doesn't have the same ideals, the same perspective, on the surface at least. Because everything that happens in Christina's storyline is in a way to remind you of Dolores. You know, like you said, the the black and white shoes, it's a small thing. Maybe there's some, you know, sort of, weird game or augmented reality or something going on around her, or maybe it's nothing. Maybe it is something that she deep in the recess, the recesses of her mind understands or interprets a particular way, you know, because she's been coded a certain way. And we, as the viewers have been coded similarly by the show programmed by the show to, you know, look into these interactions and try and interpret things from them. Um, So I think that, that's what's so interesting about this storyline is that if you show it to someone who's never seen Westworld, yeah. you know, it seems fairly simple, straightforward, slightly mysterious. But to us, you know, we've been with this show for years and years and years. It's very eerie and almost unsettling because of every little thing that happens. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so l- let's talk about a few facts we know about her. She's obviously rooming with Ariana DeBose, who plays Maya. Mm-hmm. She's working at a company named Olympiad Entertainment, mm-hmm. where she apparently is crafting storylines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is some weird, creepy guy that's stalking her mm-hmm. who believes that Christina's storylines are impacting things that happen in the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other clues about what's going on. When Dolores is walking to work, or Christina's walking to work, a bunch of bros pass by her and they say there's dialogue like that seems ADR that where they say something like, is this your first time? This is way better than expected or something like something along Mm -hmm. those lines. Right. 
Um, which opens up the possibility, is this entire w- version of New York City we're seeing some kind of park or you know, you know version of the park in and of itself? Like, is this another Westworld park that we're in, right? Either that or they just really like the High Line on the west side of Manhattan, which is a, a, like a former... A uh, railway line that's been turned into a park, which is where that scene takes place. <laughs> <laughs> I will um, say it's it's a cool <laughs> location to set something that looks kind of futuristic, right? Is like the, the, uh, architecture like that doesn't exist in most places in the United yeah, States. Yeah, and it's you know? it's a blend of you know, art, you know, artificial and natural. You know, it's yes. it's a park in something man-made or on something man-made that's elevated. But no, you know, jokes aside, clearly the implication for us the audience is meant to be wait a second is new york city a park now but um i think again the the purpose of this storyline is to make us you know question the nature of i was going to say dolores christina's reality yeah yeah um so she goes to work and then she's not appreciated for her sweet storylines she's trying to write about a, a girl you know trying to break out of her station in life she goes out on a date with a with a nothing with a pretty Ugh. boring dude, you know. Um, and she talks about her job and how she writes NPCs, non player characters. And uh, the guy says, "Aren't those basically cannon fodder?" And she reacts really poorly to it. And I'm I'm, I'm watching. I'm like, "Am I watching Dolores respond to this, or some complete <laughs> other person respond to this?" Right? Because Christina says, "I'm not doing it from the players. I'm doing it for myself." Uh, and then the guy says, you know, you sound depressed. There's tabs for that. They'll fix you right up. She says, what if I'm not broken? What if it's the world that needs fixing? Which is a line, by the way, that Dolores could have easily said, right? Mm-hmm. In her, in her adventures. Um, so then she goes to the bathroom and then, you know, leaves, has a weird look in the mirror. She answers a call from the creepy dude, encounters creepy dude. Um, and, uh, and then finally the creepy dude unalives himself uh from the roof of the the apartment next to her um she also sees like a a version of the maze on the fire escape as well Mm -hmm. uh so i'm curious like what do you make of all this what do you want to highlight from this whole sequence that you think is is worth calling out first of all i really wonder what the westworld writers must have felt and the panic they felt when they watched matrix resurrections because (laughs) you know starting the new season with a version of their protagonist who doesn't seem to remember the past and mm. a, a war that seems to have led to nothing and restarting her story um as as a video game designer mm. where uh you know she seems to have some kind of influence on the real world or something and that these layers of reality i think it's it's so funny that they seem to have come to the same um storylines you know separately from each other um but i'm i'm here for it you know i i i'd like to see where this goes um and what one one other thing i'd like to point out um just to augment my point about um you know the christina storyline about being you know sowing doubt and making us question i don't think the name maya is an accident right regardless of whether she as a character, Ariana DeBose's character, regardless of whether she's playing this game or, you know, is just along for the ride or just happens to be, you know, Christina's roommate. The purpose of her character is to do things and say things that make us question reality. And in Buddhism and Hinduism, the concept of Maya refers to the illusory nature of reality. 
um, you know, uh, something that you see a lot of Western films, you know, use, you know, movies like the original Matrix about how, you know, uh, reality is the world pulled over your eyes. It's it's a similar concept. It can be interpreted as a similar concept. So a lot of Maya's interactions, the white and black shoes, where she says, pick a side, Christine. Um, and then there were a couple of other things she says as well that I have in my notes, where she refers to the phone call that Christine gets and says, look, I'm sure it was nothing, which almost seems to evoke, um, doesn't look like anything to me from earlier seasons. <laughs> mm, yes. Um, yes. And everything she says just sounds really weird. And I, I'm intrigued because I don't know what, if anything, she's up to. But I like that this whole storyline is kind of it, it's kind of driving me nuts. It's making me paranoid. I, I hope you're right because I think if you're going to have Academy Award-winning actress Ariana DeBose, you better give her something interesting to do. <laughs> and so far, it's been kind of played out roommate tropes, you know. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I hope it gets interesting. So I, I believe it will, um, but. So far, I don't think she's adding too much, and I, I hope they, you know, they they have basically a powerhouse at their disposal when yeah. it comes to acting, right? And so I hope they they make good use of her in the show. Um, I want to quote some random lines that the guy who's calling her creepily says. Mm-hmm. Um, he says things like, um, "I need you to leave us alone. All these people do what you want them to do. I lost my job, my wife. I thought it was the tower." Um, all these people do what you want them to do. Um, the game you wrote us into it, how these, so just kind of very vague things where it seems like Christina is exerting more of an influence over events than certainly that she has knowledge of. Right. Mm -hmm. Here is one of the strongest theories that I read about what is going on here. So I don't know if you have a theory about what's actually going on here. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I think of all the plot lines that are happening in Westworld, the whether or not we like Christina is taking place contemporaneously with the other ones is a huge doubt to me. Like I, I don't know if it's taking place in either the same time frame or the same reality as all the other time frames, mm-hmm. uh, all the other plot lines that we see in this episode. Um, the the theory that felt strongest to me is that we are seeing a version of Dolores in the sublime slash data storage center. And that the, like in the data storage center, there's like all these hosts, NPCs or whatever that are like being stored. All their memories and lives are being stored there. Right. And uh, maybe they're degrading over time. Right. And so she needs to like write stories for them to kind of keep them stimulated. So they don't like degrade too much. Um, but that the stories have like gone out of her control somehow, right? She, like she's writing individual stories for these like host memory, like host personas that are being stored in the server. And then like it's, it's spiraling out of control. That, that feels to me like a very solid, uh, theory on what is happening. And so in, in that theory, then everything we're seeing of the Christina storyline is in a computer somewhere, basically, right? How does that theory strike you? And or do you have any alternative interpretations of what's going on? Uh, I could see it being something that Westworld would do. I don't feel strongly about it in the sense of like, I, if, you know, the next episode opens with that revelation, I wouldn't really have any strong reaction to it. Mm-hmm. Um, because mostly I'm interested in what's going on from an emotional standpoint. Yeah. The things You're... that she is remembering and why. Right. 
You're, you're less interested in the the plot machinations, although we will discuss those on this. Oh podcast, yeah, but, oh yeah, oh but yeah. But you're, but I, I, but this is the, this is kind of the challenge of mm-hmm. Westworld. Is you know, I read a bunch of reactions to this episode, and many people were like, "I don't know what I just watched." Mm-hmm. Like they mm-hmm. they don't they don't even know what's going on on a basic plot level, and so we don't know who Christina is. Like, yep. is Christina a robot? Is she Dolores? Is she you know we don't know who she. So it's hard for us to have a reaction to that character's emotional journey unless we know what is actually going on in the base reality of the show right that's a good um, point and so it's tough it's tough but we are we are going to try to figure out what the base reality is yeah um and i think the idea that she's kind of architecting the lives of the hosts or the stories of the hosts that are being stored is a solid theory absolutely could be could be completely wrong could be completely wrong but like it's what i'm going with for now yeah and and what i have to wonder is you know, whether this is her body, her consciousness, whatever it is, who is repurposing her if someone is repurposing her at all? Because, you know, it seems likely that the people who were once in charge of things are still in some way in charge of things. You know, Mm -hmm. what is her role? Why has she been turned into a storyteller? And this is where, you know, a lot more of the uh, Matrix Resurrections uh, comparisons come in. Uh, But that's something I'll try and leave aside because, you know, it's, it's probably just down to coincidence. Um, but something that, uh, the recapper at Vulture actually pointed out, which was incredibly interesting and something that I missed was that the character, the, the person who's calling her and claiming to be, um, you know, influenced by her story or perhaps even, you know, something that she has created in some way, Mm -hmm. this, you know, paranoid person who's stalking her, his name is Peter. Peter is also the name of Dolores's father in the park. So that made me wonder, you know, is some part of this character's memory, you know, is it Dolores' subconscious in some way coming out in the form of art, in the form of stories? Because even if you see the the story that she visualizes, by the way, when she sits down to write those, you know, games and NPCs, uh, I love the way it's visualized. I love that yeah. you see it form in front of her. And well, well, also, uh, Siddhant, like yeah. we have entered a, an era recently where Dali, right? The AI is, is like people are throwing lots of like paintings and images Ooh, through Dali. Yeah, and they it reminded me so strongly of the kind of image and level of detail that we saw in that image. Like she can speak it, and it can come to life. I'm like, this is like freaking future Dali that we're watching right now, and. Um, it's it's incredible how close the resemblance is between the images that she was speaking into existence and the stuff we've seen on Twitter and so on that come from Dali. So, um, yeah, anyway. I didn't even think of that. That's a fantastic point. Um, but, yeah, what I was saying was, you know, the she seems to keep going back. She seems to keep going back to the well of the story of, like, this girl who's searching for something and her father, which is what we know of Dolores' early story before she became self-aware in the book. Um, it's usually it's usually not a coincidence when two characters have the same name in a TV show, right? Because they could, have easily, yeah. <laughs> they could have easily given another name to Peter, guys. So why would they give them the same name unless there was mm-hmm. some meaning to it? Maybe it's a coincidence, but I think it's unlikely, you know? Yeah. Um, a- another theory that I've seen floated around that is also like, like, here's the thing about these theories, Siddhant, is none of them are like great at explaining everything, no. right? <laughs> so, so because even in a scenario where Dolores is writing the narratives for all these people. Why would she be named Christina and not be aware that she's doing it? That doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah. It, here's another theory is um, 
what if Christina is like the actual real life woman that Dolores, the robot was based off of, right? Like, um, cause presumably, you know, that maybe wow. they based Dolores in the original Westworld off of a real life person who like signed away their image rights to, you know, be used as a robot. Um, and so th- maybe like the, the Christina storyline is taking place like decades before any of the events of like Westworld season one or whatever. Right. Um, yeah, that's that possible, but then it doesn't explain why she seems to be able to control everyone with her storytelling. Like, is it that you know, like, yeah. So, there's... so it's like none of the theories I've seen like account for everything. Um, that's true. But but there, it's kind of interesting to think about, and it's a little, it's kind of fun to kind of like speculate <laughs> on like, what it's actually gonna be. You know, like who knows? Um, but yeah, so there's a bunch of different theories about like what is actually going on here with Christina. Yeah, the one about uh, Christina being, you know, something in the past of the show, uh, because it would make sense in in this, you know, closing the loop kind of way that if this person, you know, feels the things that she does, would she not then logistically, you know, create the story of Dolores that we see in Westworld? Um, And I think, you know, whether that turns out to be the case or not, it, it does form this really interesting loop of, you know, stories influencing themselves in a way. Yeah, yeah. Of course, there is one major thing that complicates any of those interpretations, mm-hmm. which is that at the end of the episode, she, she speaks plaintively about wanting to create a story with a happy ending. And, you know, as she's narrating, she we see it voice over on other plot lines. And mm-hmm. it's like, I wonder if she's talking about all of these stories in this, this season. Mm-hmm. And then James freaking Marsden appears, man. James Marsden playing maybe Teddy, but... Marsden was, I think, completely absent from season three of Westworld, right? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, Because presumably he had killed himself in season two. So this is the second character that we thought was completely dead (laughs) coming back in season four of Westworld. Um, You know, any speculation we have about what he's doing here would be completely wild. That said, I'm going to ask if you have any thoughts on Marsden reappearing. I was delighted. Just my gut reaction was pure delight, especially in the context in which he appears. But beyond that, I think it's whatever it is, it's going to probably tie into us figuring out or learning what Christina's whole deal is as it pertains to Dolores. Because who is Christina in the context of Dolores? Who is this person in the context of Teddy? Is it the Teddy we've seen? Is it his body? Is it his mind in a new body? We have no idea at this point, other than the fact that there seems to be some kind of connection between them, an almost Romeo and Juliet-esque connection with him looking at her in the balcony. Um, Who knows? Maybe maybe what we're seeing is a video game. (laughs) Because when when she delivers that voiceover, the instrumental that plays is of the song Video Games by Lana Del Rey. Um, And of course, the title is very literal. But it is also a song about longing and about memories, which makes it perfect for this scene where, uh, not Dolores, Christina is, you know, longing for something more. She's searching for something, but also the question of her memories and, you know, Teddy's memories is is always on our minds. Like, because this show has always been about memory since the beginning, you know? And so are we going to see a story of the ways memory manifests through art, through stories? I don't know. I'm I'm really curious to find out. Yeah, same. Um so that's basically the episode uh and all the events that happened in the episode, but Sidanth, 
as fun as it was to talk about everything that happened in the episode, there's also a bunch of stuff the episode didn't cover that we should discuss. Right? Is Stubbs in the tub? Is Stubbs in the tub? What is and, going and on with Bernard? Bernard? Yeah. Where, where is going? <laughs> and Bernard, you know, <laughs> trying to care about him too. But yes, what is going on with Stubbs? Is he in the tub? What's going on with Bernard? Um, I don't think we see Charloris. Like, no. We don't see the you know, Charloris of the burned arm, but I think we're going to later this season is my guess, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody also brought up, you know, I, I read somewhere that like, remember last season of Westworld, there was a uh, Dolores mind pearl in the body of Lawrence played by Clifton Collins Jr. Mm-hmm. Is that... Is that mind pearl person still at large, right? Like, like they could still be around, right? You know, for for the fifteen seconds of screen time that Lorola Loloris, what do we call him? I don't know. Loloris, Loloris. Fifteen seconds of screen time that he got. I don't necessarily know that he's a priority. <laughs> but he could but be the, out there. The point being, the point being that there was a Dolores mind pearl out there yeah. in the wild. Yeah. Right. And then like, who knows how that may or may not mix things up this season, you know? Yeah. Like um, we said, like we said in the intro episode, you know, he's just vibing somewhere. He's just vibing. He's just vibes. <laughs> he's just been chilling for the last seven years, yeah. basically. He, he's Banksy. Since the robot revolution. So He's the new Banksy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think <laughs> that's that's basically it. Um, I am eager to see what happens with Charloris. I'm eager to find out more about what's going on with the flies. I'm eager to find out more about um what is going on with um with bernard and Stubbs, and hopefully we'll get some more answers to that this uh next week but either way i think we both agree super strong episode super strong opening answers a bunch of questions leaves open a bunch more bold mm-hmm. swings bold decisions any closing thoughts sit on on season four episode one of westworld i love the way it ends and i want this feeling to last forever I know it won't, but I want it to last forever. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to all my patrons at patreon.com slash Dave Chen for making this podcast possible. Uh, Head on over to patreon.com slash Dave Chen, sign up for cool stuff, and support shows like this one. We'll be back next week with another recap of Westworld. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 